Good morning. I am, uh, I'm excited for this. I, sometimes you, you start studying for a word and they're always good. Like every time I'm studying, it's good. But this one actually ministered directly to me in a way that just made me excited to share. And so I want you to know that if you get nothing from this, just be happy for me and, and grateful that I did. So at least one of us is getting something out of this, all right? So it, uh, so I'm gonna be John 17 is where I'm gonna be at. Verse one is where we're gonna start. And, uh, this word, um, really hit me whenever I, I read this. And it's something the Lord had been speaking to me. And then, uh, we were just speaking in prayer the other night on Tuesday night. And, uh, just reiterated that we really need to, we really need to, uh, just be deeper. The words everybody spoke today were right on. So, John 17, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I'm going to pray. So, Father God, I pray that, that today, Lord, that you would speak through me, God, that I would get out of your way, Lord, that we would receive only what you have for us. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to it, Lord, that I pray that, that God, each one of us would be transformed by what you're going to speak and we'd be different than we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I really like this scripture as I've been praying, uh, studying about heaven lately. I think this scripture really tells us what heaven is. And, you know, we can talk about what heaven looks like. We can talk about, um, you can go into Revelation to see the layouts of it all, but right here is what heaven is. It's in, in John 17, 1 through 3. You get, you get it all. It says, He lifted up his high, eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you. And I, I, is what Jesus is saying here is do what you need to do that you get the glory for it. Do through me what you need to that you get the glory. And, uh, I don't know how often we, we live our lives in that way, the way Jesus was. He was fully God. He was fully man, but he was still wanting to glory, to have himself glorified in a way that it glorified God, not in a way that it glorified him. And we don't always maybe do that. I don't know. Sometimes we we live our lives in in the aspect of, you know, sometimes I'm going to glorify God, or maybe maybe God will come glorify Himself here. But what are we doing? How are we submitting? What are we doing? Jesus is saying, "I'm going to go die for you. I'm going to do it all for you, that they see the glory in me that glorifies you." And that's. That's pretty cool. It's kind of like Kevin was saying this morning, you know. He only wants to be where God's at, and he wants his life to be fully devoted to it, right? He goes on and he says, since you have given him, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And, and this is Jesus saying you have given him, given Jesus all authority over all flesh to all that you have given him. 
And I like the fact that sometimes we think that Jesus was the gift to us, but truly we're the gift to Him. We are His gift. He wanted us. And and I like that. I like the fact that when you think about uh, all that He could have asked for, all He wanted was us, right? That's the gift. Scripture says we are His inheritance. He will inherit us. And uh, that's pretty neat to me when I think that I, I'm a gift to God. Not... I feel like he's getting the short end of that stick, but, you know, he wanted me. He paid for me. He died for me to be his inheritance. All he wanted was a relationship with me. That's his inheritance. And uh, I, I, I always love that thought process. And it goes on and it says, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life. And I'm going to tell you before I go too far into this, that word is a really weird word for eternal. It's like a genocaco or something. And it, Oh, no, that's not that word. That's later. But Eternal life's word is a word that actually doesn't just mean uh, lasting forever. And I don't have that word here because I couldn't pronounce it either. But the word actually means... The same as, um, it means more than just eternal. It means lasting forever with Christ. It's a whole different thought process that we don't even grasp. It's not just forever. It's from the beginning, before the beginning, and, be, and after the end. There's no, there's no in-between. It's not like from this moment forward, it never stops. It, it, never, it never had a beginning. There's no beginning. There's no end. It's eternal. It lasts forever. And, and whenever he starts talking about eternal life here in a minute, he goes, and this is eternal life. This means a life that never ends, but it also, in the biblical definition, it, it means this is a life of relationship. This is a life of relationship that never had a beginning. It never has an end. It's a life of relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had eternal life together. They had a relationship that never ended. You know, you, you hear people say, I'm going to inherit eternal life, but then some people get confused and they're like, well, even if you die and go to hell, you got eternal life. You do not. You have eternal death. There's a big difference. There's a difference in eternal life and eternal death. Eternal life is relationship forever. Eternal death is no relationship forever. You have no relationship with Christ. I always love when Rod always pointed out that uh, heaven without Jesus is hell. Right? Because you don't have Jesus. Doesn't matter how beautiful or perfect heaven is, you take Jesus out and it's nothing. It's nothing at all. It says, This is eternal life that they know you. So that eternal life, that eternal relationship is that we know God the Father. Right? The only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God. It is knowing Jesus, getting to know Him. And that word know is not like, I know a lot of people. I know Keevan. I know Jason. I know Devola. I know a lot of people. I know people I work with. This is a different kind of know. This is that word I was saying earlier, that really weird word, that Jenna Coco or whatever it is. 
This is an absolute knowledge. This is an intimate knowledge. This is the same word. Now, don't get too creeped out here. It's the same word as whenever it said Joseph did not know Mary until after Jesus was born and then he knew her, which was an intimate knowledge. It wasn't the wasn't sex. He wasn't talking about sex. He's talking about an intimate connection. And that's what this knowledge is. So eternal life is that intimate connection, that knowledge of God in a way that is connected that that's heaven. This is eternal life. It is that that knowing God forever in an intimate way that's closer than close that you can't you can't describe, you can't earn it, you can't it's not the stuff. Anybody who's ever married or anybody who has kids or anybody who has a best friend you just love hanging out with, it's not because of anything other than that intimate relationship. And this is more than that. That is eternal life is that intimate knowledge of God that lasts forever. That's heaven. And we know from Scripture that whenever we make it to heaven, when this life ends and we get to heaven, there'll be no more tears. We know there'll be no more sorrow. We know joy will be abundant. We know that uh, comfort will be there. We know that there'll be no more sickness. We know, we just know how beautiful it will be being in the presence of Christ and God the Father. There'll be no sin. You'll never be let down. We're told that we'll get to know God forever. It's an intimate knowledge forever that we'll be getting to know God. And it's such a beautiful thought that one day I'm going to be there in a perfect world, eternal life with God the Father. And if we go back to the beginning, and I love the fact that one thing I think of sometimes is... uh and it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the message, but Jesus said, I'm going to my Father to prepare a place for you. And I don't ever want to forget that because there is going to be preparation. There's going to be something special about heaven because in the beginning, we're told that He spoke everything into existence. In six days, all was spoken to existence. The world came into existence because He spoke. And the only thing He created was man. He created them with His hands. It was man. But if he could speak a whole world into existence and for 2,000 years he's been preparing a home for me, what does that look like? Six days he did all this. 2,000 years he's creating something special. With his hands. There's something different. It's not going to be anything we understand. And I believe part of that preparation is the people who will be with us. I believe that's a big preparation is, is us, right? Because that's what he prepares. But if we go back to, to Genesis and we're in two and three and we see where, uh, Adam, we know walked, Adam and Eve walked with, with the Lord and we know that there was a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know, uh, we know everything was perfect. There was no sin yet. There was no death. I can only imagine joy was abundant. I can't, I can only imagine we, we can't comprehend a world without sin, but they had it. 
They walked in it. And then there's that shiny little fruit that Eve had to take a bite of. And uh, another little nugget I'll give you on that aspect is, is I believe that was a great way in, for Satan to to use a twisted Scripture against them. Because when Adam was told not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, he was told never to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. That was all he was told. But then when Satan comes to Eve, he says, hey, did God truly say never eat from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? And she said, he said never eat from it or touch it. And all I can imagine is whenever she says that, you probably see the serpent sitting there throwing an apple around or the fruit around or playing with it, and, and he's not dying. So whenever he's questioning what God said while he's touching this fruit, and he's not dying, she's probably like, maybe I can eat it without dying also. Right? Because what God actually said is you can't eat it. He didn't say they couldn't touch it. But sometimes we add to Scripture, right? We, we throw things in the Scripture that, that aren't actually there and we put more on people, as Christ said about the Pharisees, you put more on them than they can bear. And Satan will use those twisted Scriptures to get people to fall over and over. You know, that the, the whole adage of everybody says the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. It doesn't say that. It's nowhere in there. Jesus actually said Cleanliness on the outside doesn't matter. But it's a twist of Scripture. But I'll tell you what, it's actually biblical when you think about it because cleanliness on your own can be right there next to godliness, but it'll never make it to godliness. It'll be right next to it always. So whenever people say that, say, well, that's good. I don't, I don't want to be next to godliness. I want to be in godliness. Right? So, so whenever people twist the Scripture... It puts stuff on people that should not be there. And I believe that's kind of how it happened. These people were walking with Jesus daily. Every single day, and the serpent came and just took a little temptation. And they were out. And a little bit of twisting of what, what the Word would say, and they were out, right? And, and I'm going to give you a little bit of analogy of how this would look today's standards. So... If I if I go to Ann and Ann's like told me, hey, you know, if you ever need need to hang out, you need to learn stuff, whatever, I'm here. And then I go to Ann, I say, hey, Ann, can I spend a day with you and just learn from you and just, you know, spend time with you and get to know you? And she's like, yeah, I'd, I'd love that. And then here's Margie over here. Margie says, while well, I'm spending time with Ann, Margie says, hey, Eddie, you want to go get some ice cream? Now let me tell you something, ice cream's a, a good way to get my attention. Youth kids have been doing it for years. Every time we're going somewhere, they're like, hey, can we go get ice cream? The answer is always yes to ice cream, right? But I've already committed to spending my time with Ann. I'm learning from Ann, and I say, hey, Ann, you want to go get some ice cream? And Ann says, no, we got stuff to do. There's things I want to teach you later on. You know, we'll get some treats later on, but right now we just can't do that. And I say, okay. No, Margie, I can't do that. I'm, I'm spending the day with Ann, right? Yeah, and she, she would say she was with me. But then, 
Then the next day I get up and I say, hey, Ann, can I come spend a day with you? And she says, yes. And then Margie comes back and she says, hey, you sure you don't want to get the ice cream? That was the best ice cream ever. There's no ice cream quite like it. And she starts telling me more and more about this ice cream. And I'm like, hey, Ann, can we go get some ice cream? And she goes, no, we got stuff to do. There's things I want to teach you, right? My time yesterday with Ann was amazing, but that ice cream's still enticing. Ice cream's always enticing. I love ice cream, right? So she says it, and then finally I say, hey, Ann, you want to go? And she's like, no. I was like, Ann, would you mind if I go real quick to get that ice cream with Margie, and I'll come back, and Ann will say, like, well, I don't think it's wise, but... If that's what you need to do, do it. And so I go with Margie real quick, get the ice cream, and I come back. And then the next day, I say, hey, Ann, can I spend time with you? Can we just hang out? And Ann says, yeah, we can hang out. And the next day, I'm waiting for Margie to come ask about this ice cream. Margie says, hey, you want to go to that ice cream? I said, yeah, we go get the ice cream. And I didn't even ask Ann at this time. I'm just going for the ice cream because it worked yesterday. So we go a little longer for this ice cream, and then we say, hey, while we're out, why don't we go grab cookies too? Right? And then I come back later on, I'm eating my ice cream, and Ann's already, you know, had all these plans for me that we got to make up for, and then she had a snack ready for me, but we couldn't get the snack because everything else is going on that I've already ruined a lot of the plan that she had made up for us to do that day. And then the next day we come there, and I come to Ann's, And immediately, right whenever I see Margie, I'm not even waiting. I'm just already over there waiting for Margie myself over there. And my life starts getting that way. Now, ice cream's not a problem. It's your forked tongue, yeah. It's, uh, ice cream's not the problem. Ice cream's okay. The problem is, is whenever I'm supposed to be spending time with Ann and I walk away from that, right? The problem is whenever we're spending time with God, it says eternal life is the knowledge of God. That's eternal God, uh, that's eternal life. We can begin having eternal life right here. The moment you're saved, you have eternal life. And if we're going to spend eternity with God, shouldn't we start that now? If we know heaven is so amazing and it's amazing because of the presence of God, shouldn't we start thinking I want to spend all my time in the presence of God. And whatever God takes me, whatever God wants to do, whatever God suggests, I will do that. Maybe whenever I'm spending time with God and he goes, hey, we need to go get ice cream because there's where I'm going to put you, right? Or maybe he's like, I want to bless you today with this or, you know, but it's his plan. If I'm hanging out with Ann and her plan is, you know what, today, Eddie's the day that we're going to go get ice cream. And we'll, and we'll ask Margie to go with us. Then Margie gets to spend time with Ann. Right? It's now a plan of God if I ask God, hey, what do you want me to do today? And he's, and I'm following whatever he wants to do. And, and, and that sounds very simple, but we come on a Sunday and we worship God and we get in the Word and Sunday's our day for God. And I had a friend who preached a message last week that I was blessed to hear. His name's Tony Braun. He's in Braden, uh, Bradenburg. And in his message, he had this saying that said, does your Sunday look like your Monday that looks like your Tuesday? 
Sunday we devote to Christ. A lot of times we only devote the first half of Sunday to God and then the rest is ours. What's, what's Monday look like? And what does Tuesday look like? And what does Wednesday look like? And what does Thursday look like? And what does Friday look like? And by the time Saturday gets here, you're like, wow, I really need Sunday because I need filled up. It's because sometimes we get, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm going to follow you, Lord. And on Sunday, it's real easy to worship. It's real easy to, to pray. But I wonder how devoted our worship is on Sunday when there's no worship on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I think that sometimes we can do it. We can wake up and do a daily devotion. We can wake up and we can pray. We can wake up and we can do certain things. But whenever we go and we say, hey, God, I'm going to go do this. Would you come with me? It's kind of like when I ask Ann to go have ice cream with Margie. Right? It wasn't her plan. It was my plan. And whenever I have a plan and I ask God to be a part of my plan, it don't line up with his plan. It may not even be a bad plan. Like I said, I love ice cream. There's never a bad plan with ice cream. Unless it doesn't line up with God's plan. Then, then thinking of all the things that can get in our way. All the things that... Uh, I use ice cream because it's simple and it doesn't seem harmful. But there's things that are even less harmful than ice cream. Because Ann would have told me, you know what, that's not healthy for you. You're eating too much ice cream. I know because she's told me. Right? But there's things that seem healthy for us that still don't line up with God's plan. So so what about whenever you wake up and you're like, God, my day's devoted to you. And then your family wakes up and you're like, all right, what do you guys want to do today? And they're like, we're going to go to, let's go to the zoo. Let's go to this. And you're like, all right, God, we're going to go do this. And you go do all these things, but truthfully, God's not in it. Never once do you feel the presence of God there. Never once have you shared anything about God there. Never once has your your family felt that God was any part of what you were doing. You're like, now you're getting a little crazy, Eddie. But it's the truth. Whenever you wake up and you say, hey guys, let's uh let's devote our day to God and let's pray and see what He would have do for us. Hey guy, hey guys, what if we Lord, I think today we need to just sit here and, and and pray. I think today we need to get into this Bible study. I think today, like, hey, you know, I think the Lord wants us to go to the zoo today and just look at His creation. When you go to the zoo because God called you to, to admire His creation, instead of going to the zoo just so you can have fun, it's a big difference. God's in one of them. The other's your plan. And I don't, this has nothing to do with salvation. You're still saved. With the moment you get saved, you're saved. But there's something called going deeper. There's something called being fully devoted to Christ. There's something called daily worship. Right? It's, uh, when we are daily devoted to Christ, and our lives are truly daily devoted to Christ, things change. Life changes. Our life changes. Other people's lives change. People start looking at you and they want what you have. But instead, a lot of times on Tuesday when people look at you, you look no different than they look. There's nothing in you that they they desire. Right? And I'm not saying you can't have fun. I'm not saying you can't do 
the stuff you've always done, it needs to be in God's timing. It needs to be a, 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 a God thing. Instead of inviting God into our plans, what if we had God inviting us into His plans, which He has? What if we say, Christ, what do you want me to do? How can I glorify you today? How can we spend time together? I'll tell you what, when God provides ice cream for you, it's better than whenever you provide your own. It's awesome. It's, uh, when it, his, his ways are so much higher than our ways. And, and you can sit here and think like, but I like these things. I like doing this. I like doing that. And some things are a, they're a chore. You have to do them anyway. Can I tell you that God provides way better things than we create for ourselves? If God was to say, I don't want you to do that, do you think you're going to be miserable after following Christ? There may be miserable circumstances that come across that way, but you won't be miserable. I, I think of uh, Jim Elliott, the, the, the martyr Jim Elliott. Some of you know who he is. He was... Uh, great man of Christ. Whenever he was in high school and college, all the girls loved him. They were like, that guy, he's marriage material. He looks good. He's in great shape. He's a great athlete. He loves God. And every one of them said he's the untouchable. He'll have nothing to do with you. Except for the woman he ends up marrying. See, Jim Elliott said, hey, if God wants me to have a wife, she's going to have to be so in love with Christ. Her heart is going to have to be so devoted to Christ like mine. It's the only way she's going to find my heart. And so they were both all in for Christ, right? Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And we've heard that before, but I'm going to say it again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So the things of the world that we may give up, they're not eternal anyway. But the things we gain are eternal. They're forever. So when we follow Christ and we do the things He calls us to do, they're forever. The things we gave up are not. So whenever our lives start looking more like a worship of Christ daily, when our lives begin looking like a devotion to Christ daily, we start getting to experience a little bit more of that that joy of heaven, that that peace that you're going to have in heaven, that that eternal life that comes in heaven. Instead of a lot of times, uh, many of us walk around feeling like eternal death is on us at all time. We feel miserable. There's... How many Christians do we know that complain all the time? They're never happy. They're never a joy in them. And it's because, often it's because there's no eternal life. Jim Elliott, to go further into his, his thing there, he said that before he went on a missions trip. Before he went into an indigenous people who, who have killed everybody who ever talked to him. Him and his buddies are there doing this trip and they have their fa- wives and kids with them. And I'm, I'm probably forgetting some of this because it's been a while since I read this. But uh, he goes into this place. They believe they're at a point now to share the gospel with this indigenous people. 
And so these people come out. Jim Elliott and his friends are there about to go minister to them. They're so excited about it. And they know a few words because a woman left that tribe that was being abused and everything, escaped the tribe, and Jim Elliott and his fa- and, the, and the people there were ministering to her, and she taught them some words, taught them some things, but they she kept warning them, this will lead to death. This will lead to death. And and his whole thing was, was hey, he is no fool that give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliott and his his guys go out there, and they're going to minister to these people, and they're so excited, and these people come out, and they're like, yay, they're here. And then they start stoning them and throwing spears at them. And every one of those guys died. It's a beautiful story. They all got killed. But it wasn't about that to him. It wasn't Losing his earthly life didn't matter as long as he had his heavenly gains. Right? So most of us know this story. A lot of us know it at least. And... What happens is, is this indigenous woman sees this and she goes over and she talks to those people later on and tells them, hey, they weren't armed. They meant you no harm. They actually loved you. And and later on, the indigenous people that killed them said the whole time all they were doing was trying to love them as they were killing them. But what Jim Elliott and his friends gave up led to the, the widows going in sharing the gospel and that whole tribe becoming a Christian tribe. Right? But it was because he was more worried about the gain than he was what he was going to lose. Right? Uh, I need to move on before we're here too long. Second Peter 1, I'm going to go through this kind of quickly. Uh, it says, Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained the faith equal standing of ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our and of Jesus our Lord. And grace and peace in that knowledge. Now, he's not saying like eventually this is going to happen. He's saying right now that could be happening as you know God, as you know Jesus right now. And that's that intimate knowing. That's that I give you all I am knowing. That's that's like a husband and wife knowing, but to a whole different degree as I, as you know them. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called to us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us it. His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And this is talking still about that His own glory. This is talking about what He did for us. We get to escape this world because Jesus' glory glorified God, and now we're partakers in that. And we get to have that intimacy. We get to be, we get to have that eternal life even right now. We get to experience now. Sin is everywhere. And so we know this world will never be perfect. But we can start now. Right? 
You didn't just move in with your spouse and have a, a wonderful life and want to spend every day with them. No, you dated them. And the more you got to know them, the more you wanted to be with them. Right? That's what happens. And then eventually you can't be without them. And that's what we need to learn with Christ. The more we spend with Him, it's hard now. It's hard sometimes for us to want to give up earthly things for the the godly things. But the more we do it, eventually you can't be without it. Right? I'd like to be ready. When I get to heaven, I know I can't get anywhere close to it, but I don't want to get to heaven and be like, oh, I was nowhere near that. Right? says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And I've taught on this stuff before, but these are important things. If we would look at this, and like I said, this is in Second Peter 1. And you look at those very things and you start focusing on those and you start meditating on those and you, you know, you have the self-control when it comes to the Lord. You're getting to know the Lord. Uh, every part of this, I mean, staying steadfast with the Lord. As, as we, we pursue this more and more, we do get to that part of love, that eternal love, that eternal life. And it says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes back to that knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. If these things are good, if we are actually pursuing these things, we're fruitful in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. We're fruitful in it. But if we don't practice those other things, we're not going to be fruitful in it. We're going to do like we do often, and by Tuesday, you know, it don't look like Sunday anymore. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has was cleansed from the former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice, practice these qualities, you will never fall. I fall a lot. Probably means I need to practice those qualities more and get better and better and better and better at it. When I fall, I go right back to it. When I go have ice cream with Margie, I run right back and say, I'm sorry, Ann. Help me never to do that again. You do the same thing with God. I am so sorry, Lord. I failed. Help me where I keep failing. I want you more than I want those things. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I like that. Therefore, I tend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that putting off of my body will be soon as Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to at any time to recall these things. And this is Peter saying this stuff. We were talking about in men's group that if ever there was a transformation in anybody, it was Peter. 
Peter went from this wild, crazy guy that whenever the Holy Spirit came, he was all in. He was fully devoted. Not that he wouldn't fall. He did fall. And Paul had to hold him accountable just like he's holding other people accountable. But we need to hold each other accountable in this. I'm not saying these things to say, hey, you're horrible and you're going to hell. I'm saying these things because there's more that we could be doing. There's more to life than what we see. And oftentimes people are like, you know, God wants us to have fun and there's nothing wrong with this and there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe there's not anything wrong with the things we're doing necessarily, but are they the best? I always liked when Bob Taylor would say the enemy of the best is good, right? What God has for us is best. The things we have for ourselves may just be good, right? Doesn't mean you're not going to heaven when you go do some things that maybe aren't in God's plan. But it's not the best God has for us always. Right? There's a whole better way to do things. And sometimes when we say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna give this a chance. I'm gonna not do what I have been doing and devoting myself to God. And then some of those things you were doing, God's still gonna say, I want you doing those. I just want you to do them for me. Right, And that's the way that works. It doesn't mean everything we're doing is going to be gone. In uh, Philippians 3, this is going to be my last scripture, but I do have a story. Philippians 3, 7 says, uh, and this is Paul in Philippians 3. This is Paul right at the beginning of Philippians 3. He's pointing out how uh, by fleshly means... There's nobody who is more righteous than him. There's nobody who deserves more than him because fleshly, he's accomplished at that point probably more than anybody. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, you know, he was persecuting the church. He was, he knew a lot. You know, he in his own means by the by the law he would have been considered righteous, but by love he wasn't. He had no love in him. He only had law. And he's setting it up in this aspect, but then in verse 7 he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And this is a man who had everything. He had stature, he had, he had riches, he had anything he needed, he had it. He had to, he could say, just speak, and people did the things he wanted done. He was powerful by worldly standards. But none of that mattered when, whenever he got rid of it because all that mattered was that knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know that Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in death, in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And this is a man who realized that none of that stuff he had before matters. That it, suffering for Jesus, suffering with Jesus, doing whatever Jesus calls him to do, and then being able to resurrect with Jesus Christ and be in heaven with Jesus, that's where it's at. And this is a smart man. 
in order to, to, to study with the people he was able to study with, you had to be one of the most gifted people. He was put in places that, that I know I wouldn't have made it to because I'm not that smart. But he got it. God had to humble him. We know that. But he got it. Goes on and he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. That's it right there. Christ did it. He wanted us. We are His gift. And because He died for us and we are His gift, we should want to do the same for Him. The the worst kind of thing you could ever have is whenever you're loving somebody and they never rescind it, right? You, You still love them, but it's so much more of an intimate love whenever it's returned. A true intimate love is two-sided, not one-sided. And sometimes God's love for us is one-sided. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And uh, we know this stuff. There's nobody in here that doesn't know this. Everybody in here knows that God's way is better. Everybody here knows that God provides better gifts than we could ever have. Everybody knows that eternal life of knowing Jesus forever is better than anything we'll experience here on earth. But why are we not there? Why is it by Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday we start going back down and our daily worship's not there, our daily devotion's not quite there? It goes back to that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday should all look the same to us. Our devotion on Sunday should look no different than our devotion the rest of the week. Our our walk with Christ should look just as good on Friday as it does on Sunday. Our our complete devotion to Him, our, our eternal life, our love for Christ, our following with Him, our spending time with Him should not be a... I, well, I have this time separated for God. It should be all day. Right? You're like, well, I gotta go to work. Hey, guess what? He's everywhere. He's all, he's all knowing. He's omnipresent. He can, he can be wherever you're at. If he calls you to go there, he wants to go with you. He didn't say, hey, I want you to go to work and I want you to share the gospel, but I'll stay home. No, he's gonna go with you. He's gonna go with you and everything. And the worship team can come up. I'm going to close with this little story. Uh, it's John C. Whitaker. This is, uh, John C. Whitaker, which was a undersecretary of interior during Nixon's, uh, presidency. And he tells a story, uh, about keeping perspective. And he tells it about this 85 year old woman who lived in a small spot in Nova Scotia, right? And so the population in this place that she lived at in Nova Scotia in the, in the summertime was nine people. It'd be huge. It'd be nine people. But in the winter, it was only two people that lived there. She was in a little small area. 
in Nova Scotia. And John C. Whitaker, every year since he was 12 years old, would go there and go fishing. And he would always spend time with this old lady. And now he's older, I think, at the time. He's probably about 50s, in his 50s, I think. But he would always go spend time there. His family did. And he would go fishing every year at that time in the summer. And he goes fishing in this little spot in Nova Scotia. And uh, while he's there, Miss Mildred, it says, welcome him into her kitchen, right? And obviously he's working in Washington, D.C. And she says, Johnny, I hate to admit it, but where's Washington, D.C.? And he said, well, Washington, D.C. is where the President of the United States lives. And it's where all the people are at. It's kind of like for you, it'd be like Ottawa, where the Prime Minister lives. She goes, oh, okay. She says, well, how many people live in in Washington? And he goes, "Uh, there's about two million people. Right? And this lady's living in the winter. There's two people, nine people in the summer. And her reaction to this was, think of that. Two million people living so far from everything. Right? She's in the middle of nowhere by our aspects. She says, imagine that, two million people living so far from, from, from anything, from everything. She got it. She understood like she was enjoying what God created. She was in God's creation. She was where she thought God had her to be. She was in a place that she wasn't distracted, but two million people in Washington, D.C., so far from everything. And I think sometimes even in churches, you know, we have millions upon millions, billions of of Christians. But how many of them are so far from everything? We can be around everybody. We can be hanging out with people. We can be doing things. But are we, are we so far from everything? We know that narrow is the road, right? Narrow is the gate. We know that there's not going to be a whole lot of people on the path taken to heaven. But there's going to be a whole lot outside of it. She says, think of that. Two million people living so far from everything. Everything's Jesus Christ. How many people are living so far from everything? How many times am I living far from everything? And how many times are we we as a whole living far from everything? How devoted are we? What's our daily devotion to Christ look like? I'm going to pray in the worship team of, of worship that... This would be a good time to pray and find out. This would be a good time to get redevoted. I was excited. This may just be a maybe you guys are all good and you're right there. But I know when I was telling Jason beforehand, I was so excited going through this because the Lord was kicking me in my shins and saying, This is for you, Eddie. But I think there's just so much more. I don't want to be far from everything, I want to be right where everything's at. So, Father God, we thank you, Lord. God, I pray that if anything from this message came from me, Lord, I pray that you would strike it down, that it would it fall on deaf ears, that it would not be retained, Lord. But, Lord, let your, your words seek in. Lord, let your words take hold. Lord, let your words change us. Lord, let your words be sharper 
than any sword, Lord. Let it let it cut us deep. And Father God, as we as we pray and we worship here, Lord, I pray that you would you speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray you would give us the ability, Lord, to to be separated for you, Lord. As Pastor Chad talked last Sunday, God, that we would be we'd be set apart, God. We'd be sanctified for you, God. Let us be set apart. Let us be devoted to you. And Lord, help us to start living that eternal life right here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I close this in prayer, I just want to remind us again that that whole saying that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose is based on scripture. Jesus said that, you know, what what is it a profit of man to gain the whole world to lose his soul? And uh, sometimes, sometimes we're so convinced that the things of this world the the small things that we have or the things that we do sometimes that that we enjoy them so much that they they have value to us and sometimes letting God replace that value is healing therapeutic it's life changing we focus more on the things that can go to eternity with us than we do the things that are going to be left behind our life changed. I, I, I remember whenever I first started trying to prioritize my life and I was I was told these things of whenever you're prioritizing your life, number one should be the things that last forever. Number two should be the things that may affect you for the next ten years. And number three should be the ones that will affect you for the next five years. Anything other than that has no, not a lot of priority. Right? But number one should always be the everlasting things. So I'll leave you with that as we close in prayer, and uh, we can we can go wherever we need to go. So, Father God, I thank you for speaking to us today, Lord. I pray for safety, Lord. I pray that that throughout this week, Lord, we can be so fully devoted on you, God, that that tomorrow morning when we wake up, we're just as on fire for you as we are right now. Thursday morning when we wake up, God, we're going to be right there with you. God, I pray you would just change us. You would, you would, you would help us in this, Lord. Where we fall short, you be the strength. Lord, we love you. We thank you, and we appreciate all you do for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.